we are very excited. You all are regulars here, so you know, you're just coming home in a way. But we are very excited mm -hmm. because we do have some very special guests. And some of you who have been who've been coming into the library have seen an exhibit up on the main floor about the Negro baseball leagues. And the library is doing a, a lot of programming to support that exhibit. And we thought it would be great to have two people who have created a wonderful book about one of the stars of the Negro uh, Baseball League's Satchel Page. And uh, Lisa Klein Ransom and James Ransom have come all the way from New York to share with you how they created that particular book and how they do all of the books that they work on together and that they work on with other folks. So if you would join me in giving a warm Baltimore welcome to Lisa Klein Ransom and James Ransom. Thanks a lot. Good afternoon. It's really a pleasure to be here this afternoon with my wife, Lisa. It is a pleasure to be here, and um, we're happy to be invited and share with you our work, um, especially in creating Satchel Page. Um, we're going to be sending a book home with you, a book back to school with you guys, so you can enjoy it back at your schools. Um, and we're going to take you inside and kind of show you um, how we create a book, how we came up with the idea for Satchel Page, the process of creating a book. We're going to introduce you to our family and show you where we live. So, uh, and then James is going to have time to answer questions, and then James will do some drawing with you at the end. Yes. So we're going to get started um, with um, how we became, how we started out as writer and illustrator. Um, this is this is where I was born. You guys know what state this is? Just say it out loud. North Carolina, exactly. I was born here in North Carolina. I was actually born in a very small town in North Carolina called Rich Square. Um, a small little three-traffic light town in the middle of, um, well, the northern, northeastern part of the state. This is me as a kid. I think I'm in um, preschool here. And I grew up in Massachusetts um, in a town outside of Boston, in Malden. I grew up there with my parents, who were nurses, and an older brother and sister. And, and here I am in kindergarten. <laughs> uh, <laughs> This is where I spent most of my time. It was in the Malden Public Library. I have always loved the library, and I was really fortunate to grow up with a mother who loved to read. So each week, uh, my mother and I would uh, take off and head over to Malden Public Library, and we'd get a, each get a stack of books and go home and spend the day reading. Um, I grew up in um, a small town in North Carolina. Um, there was no library in my town, um, but there was a pharmacy, and that pharmacy were comic books. I would copy the images of comic books. I write stories about my friends and I doing different things. and really taught myself a lot about drawing, although there was no drawing in my elementary school, no art classes often in my elementary or middle school. After my freshman year of high school, I moved away from North Carolina and I moved to Bergenfield, New Jersey. And there they had a wonderful art department. After graduating, I went on to Pratt Institute, um, which is located in Brooklyn, New York, where um, I actually met Lisa there. She was a merchandising major, I was an illustration major, and that's where we met. My first year in art school, I did drawings like this. This is a self-portrait using a ballpoint pen, the same type of pen you use to write with. I like to show this drawing because I want you to understand that you don't have to have fancy materials to do artwork with. You use anything that's around your house to draw with or to make images with. And this is basically what I'm doing here for this portrait. Um, 
Also, I, next year I started painting, and this is the painting I did. I became very interested in sports images. This was one of the first images I painted um, to show my interest in sports. I went on to do this image, which became very popular. First, it was used on a calendar. It was used as a greeting card, um, <clears throat> um, which, would give, which was sold in bookstores. Then it was made into, a, um, it was made into shopping bags, which were um, sold around the country. And one of those bags was made into a jigsaw puzzle. This is some of the, this is some of the work I did my first years, few years after graduating. But it was Lisa who gave me this book called The Patchwork Quilt, which was illustrated by Jerry Pinckney. After seeing this book, I thought, wouldn't it be great to do a children's book? So I did three paintings for my portfolio to show how I would do a book for children. And these are the three paintings that were in my portfolio that led to me doing my first picture book, which is called Do Like Kyla. The story about a little girl who imitates everything a big sister does, and we spend the day with them. And Aunt Flossie's Hats and Crab Cakes Later, which is a story that takes place here in Baltimore. Um, I believe this was the first time that um, Lisa actually came to Baltimore while I was doing research and working on this book. We lived in New Jersey at the time. And we drove down here to take pictures of the row houses, which I knew was an important part of Baltimore because I have relatives that live here in Baltimore. I have three uncles that live here. I used to spend summers with them um, back when I was a kid. So I had a, a strong sense of what Baltimore looked like, and I wanted to have that in this book, Aunt Flossie's Hats and Crab Cakes Later. It was after doing those books where Lisa and I got married, and <clears throat> now we have a family in... Yes, so James and I have been married 22 years, and we now live in, it's, it's, kind, of, we, it's kind of called upstate New York, but it's really the mid-Hudson Valley region of New York. Um, we live there in Rhinebeck, and this is the mid-Hudson Bridge. Hudson best Valley. Part, best time of the year is the fall, just beautiful. Mm. Uh, we live here in this house with our family. We have, oh, do you want to do? So um, if you come to Rhinebeck um, and you like World War I airplanes, you can go to the aerodrome. There you can actually um, see an air show or ride around in a World War I airplane. You also can go to the Beekman Arms, which is one of the oldest inns in the country. Supposedly George Washington stayed there. Um, just two years ago, um, Chelsea Clinton, Bill Clinton's daughter, was married in Rhinebeck. And this is me meeting him when he first arrived in town. And this is our, uh, my son and my daughter, uh, Malcolm and, and Maya. Also, there's lots of artists that live in this town, illustrators, painters, filmmakers, and writers. Um, Peter McCarty of Hondo and Fabian fame lives there, as well as Brian Karras, who's illustrated hundreds of uh, books for children. Uh, Elwood Smith, who's an uh, illustrator for children's books and has also done lots of cartoons, as well as James Gurney, the illustrator of Dinotopia, um, lives there as well. So this town is filled with lots of writers, illustrators, painters, and filmmakers. And we have four children. Um, our oldest is Jamie. She's 17, and she is in her first year at Syracuse. She's studying filmmaking. Then there's Maya, who's 16, and Maya is a junior in high school. She also wants to study art one day. Then there's Malcolm. He's 15, and he's a sophomore in high school, and he hopes to be an engineer. And then our youngest is Layla, who's 11, and she's thinking about either being a doctor or a dentist. We'll see. And then, of course, our youngest is Nola, and she's a three-year-old St. Bernard, and um, she, her favorite activity is to eat snow. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is where I work. So uh, James and I both work in our home. 
Uh, this is a sunroom in the house. Across the way is James's studio. Um, it's kind of nice to be surrounded by nature when I'm working. I'm, I spend a lot of time daydreaming looking out the window. But this is my desk. We have all the basics, you know, for writing, computer, desk, my books. But most importantly is a bookshelf, which you can't see in this shot, just filled with books. I spend a lot of time reading. Um, I feel like every time I'm reading a book, um, it just helps me with my writing. So this is where I, I spend a large part of my day. Uh, I do a lot of research for my work, so I, I don't like to sit at the desk and do that, so I have to just sit. This is kind of my research chair. Around noon, it turns into my napping chair because I always have to have a little nap. Then, of course, in addition to being a writer, I'm a mother. So I spend a lot of time in the kitchen cooking, cleaning, going over homework, and yelling at the kids about homework and you know cleaning their rooms and all that stuff. And I have a second office, which is my the laundry room, because I think I do must I must do five loads of laundry a day. So that's my space. <laughs> this is where I work. This is a studio. Um, I'd like to take you inside and show you my workspace. As you come in, you can see there's windows across the back of the studio, so I get lots of daylight. Um, as you go around, you see there's lots of desks and, and file cabinets, and on those file cabinets are lots of books um, that I use for research and referencing for different projects that I work on. Uh, actually, each box here is a different book project. So basically, as I find things for a subject, I put them in these folders and these boxes. So when I come to a project, I have lots of um, information already prepared. This is where I drafting table. Um, this is where I keep my pencils and um, other things. This is where I have my computer, phone, fax, all the things I use for the business side of illustrating. This is where I keep my um, paintings while I, while I work on them. I can actually see an entire um, book as it's developing. So I work on boards, I staple to paper, I work on paper that I staple to these boards. And you can see where I can actually um, see the book as it develops. This is my um, bookcase filled with lots of books. Um, research reference books are here. Um, children's books are here. Um, music is usually over here. Um, this is my um, empty wall where I did a mural for a library um, a few years ago. Um, this is actually opening doors for the different sections of where the, the doorways going into the library. So I painted this in my studio and I took it apart and I actually took it down to North Carolina and reassembled it in the, um, in the library there. Now this wall looks like this. this is where I do large paintings. This is the paintings that I finished recently. This is my light box I use for helping me develop the drawings, a very important tool in um, illustrating. This is usually where I sit and paint or sometimes stand. My easels to my left, my, um, my easels in front of me, my palettes to my left, and this is all the things, the tools, brushes, and things I use for um, creating the paintings. And this is where I do watercolors over here. Um, so oils and acrylics are done in that one section in front of the easel, but watercolors are done at this desk. Um, and I usually sit right in this spot here, my palettes here to my, um, to my right, and my, I paint my images there. Some books I've done in watercolors um, that I've actually written. Um, my first book is the story of Gunner, football hero. And your name's Gunner? <laughs> nice name. Oh. <laughs> And this is um, my newest book to come out. Um, my second book that I wrote, um, New Red Bike, story about a boy who um, gets a bike that he shares with his friend. This is the Underground Railroad Museum in Cincinnati, Ohio. I did a mural for them um, a few years ago. 
Um, I'm very proud of those images. Um, they are all 10 feet tall. Um, this one's 10 feet by 10 feet. This one's 10 feet by um, 17 feet. Um, and there's a doorway that you'll see in a second right here. But posing for this part of the mural are my parents playing the part of the sharecroppers. So, and there's a doorway you see there. I've also done work for um, Indianapolis Children's Museum in Indianapolis, part of a story time exhibit they have there. And this is the first book with Lisa. Well, not first book. Well, it's book. one of our first books. James and I love um, quilts. Uh, we've been to see many quilt exhibits. We've always just loved that quilts tell such an amazing story, and they're, they're, they're pieced together kind of with history and scraps and remnants of things to, to tell a story. So we wanted to create a book um, that reflected our love of quilts. So we came up with um, rhyming verse, like just poems about um, images you might see on a quilt. So it was quilt alphabet. And we followed that with quilt counting. And then there's a story of Helen Keller. I do love writing picture book biographies. And Helen Keller was always a hero or a heroine of mine. So um, I wanted to tell her story. And an editor suggested I, I write it. And I've just loved telling the story from a different perspective. Uh, we've done three books about sports. Um, I do write a lot of picture book biographies, in part because I am incredibly nosy. I love peeking into the lives of people. Um, I love trying to find out the most interesting parts of their life and putting them together in a, in a book. So the first story was uh, Major Taylor, champion cyclist, who was like the Lance Armstrong of his time. Second is Young Pele, soccer's first star. Um, it's a story of a Brazilian soccer player, Pele, who kind of took the game and made it his own. Um, what I especially love about this story is that our son Malcolm posed for the part of Pele. And then, of course, our first book together was the story of Satchel Paige, the Negro League pitcher. Um, of course, Satchel Paige was a superstar in the Negro Leagues. Um, he, he had this personality that sort of just people were drawn to. He had lots of sayings. He had um, lots of um, names for his pitches and had sort of an interesting style, probably the Michael Jordan of his time. Very popular, and a lot of teams would um, have him come on their team because they knew that he would attract people. So people love hearing his tales and um, his stories. And sort of the way Lisa approached writing this story was in that manner of a tall tale um, this story is being told in. Um, here is uh, him and other players going down to South America to play. They, they, because they didn't make a, earn a lot of money, they had to work almost year-round. So they couldn't take off um, when it was cold in America. So they went down to South America or to Cuba, and they played. And this, you can see how popular Satchel was, because this um, is Satchel Page's All-Stars. Um, his name was used a lot to promote um, Negro League baseball. And there were teams all across this country, um, you know, Chicago, New York, um, all, all different areas had baseball teams. One of the things that I most love about this story, about the story of Satchel Page and the Negro Leagues, was that they faced some of the worst conditions, things that uh, most players would never have to face. They traveled on bus sometimes all night long and would arrive at a place just in time to play a game. Um, but despite all of those obstacles, they still managed to be some of the best players in the world. So um, they faced horrible conditions. They were often forced to sleep in train depots or on a bus. And what was interesting is that the game of night baseball came about as a result of their wanting to play. Sometimes they would play one, two, three games a day. So they had to play at night, and they played under the, under the lights. Yeah. 
Also, one another star in the Negro League. There were many, but another one of his most popular stars was a guy named Josh Gibson, who was almost the opposite of Satchel Paige. He wasn't. He didn't have the personality that Satchel Paige had. He was a, more of a quiet person. But he was also he was probably considered the greatest hitter in Negro League baseball. Um, was Satchel was considered the greatest pitcher. Um, so our story is sort of built around Satchel Paige, and there is one moment where these two. Um, people, at one point they were on the same team, but Satchel, again, he moved around to lots of different teams. He um, ended up playing each other in the World Negro League World Series, and that's sort of the climax of the story. Here's a picture of the two of them together um, at that Negro League uh, World Series, and um, this is going to read to you in just a second how that, that story um, came about and what happened at the end. Um, now, also, Satchel was known for his pitching, and this is sort of some examples of how he would pitch when he... Um, he would actually throw his legs up very high up in the air when he pitched. And some people th said he used that to help confuse players when they, not knowing when the ball was coming or his foot was coming up um, towards them. So now this is going to read from... Yes, I'm going to start with Satchel Page. One of the interesting things about this story is that I, you know, when James suggested that we, we work on this book together, I wasn't interested, in part because... I had no interest in baseball. I never liked the sport. Uh, but when I started doing my research and reading about Satchel Page, I realized this wasn't going to be a book about the game of baseball. It was going to be a book about a man who took the game of baseball and kind of made it his own. I loved his sense of showmanship. Um, I loved how he brought so much attention to the sport, um, how he made it fun and funny. I loved that he was a complex kind of a character that he was a real showman and that you know, he could tell a story, but he was also very much a loner. So I, I, do, I did love kind of exploring those two different parts of his personality. So I'm going to read a little bit from Satchel Page. Some say Leroy Page was born six feet, three and a half inches tall, 180 pounds, wearing a size 14 shoe. Not a bit of truth to it. And some argue that when Mrs. Lula Page first held her precious Leroy in her arms, she noticed his right fist was tightly curled around a baseball. Pure fiction. It would take him 18 years to grow to that size and about half that amount of time to realize that his hand and a baseball were a perfect match. He knew from early on he had a gift for throwing. His mom, Lula, knew it too. When she needed a plump chicken for the evening supper, she'd send her Leroy to do the fetching. His arm, so strong and lean, was as swift and sure as any rifle. With a rock, he could knock a chicken, almost anything else out, with one shot. As the seventh of 12 page children, he understood he had to do his part to put food on the table, so he headed out to the depot where he heard some real money could be made. He was always the first and fastest to offer his toting services, and when he began to hang a half a dozen or so satchels on a long stick that he draped over his shoulders, his friends told him he looked just like a walking satchel tree. Somehow the name Satchel just stuck. As a semi-pro pitcher, Satchel developed his own unique style. He'd pick up a tip here and there, put his satchel spin on it, and polish it off with a brand new name. Got so Satch began to think of his pitches as his children. The hesitation was his magic show ball. The trouble ball caused all sorts of havoc. And then there was the b-ball, which according to Satch, would always be where I wanted to be. There were two major leagues back in 1924 when Satchel was called up. Because the white major league ball clubs wouldn't allow blacks to play in their leagues, blacks had created their own in 1920 and named them the Negro Leagues. 
Satchel's teammates were in love with the game too, and out of that love grew players better than anyone could ever dream. His teammates included Cool Papa Bell, a hitter who ran bases so fast if you blinked, you'd swear he never left home plate. Oscar Charleston was an outfielder who could tell just where a ball would land as soon as it hit the bat. And then there was Josh Gibson, who some said could hit a ball so hard and so far it would land somewhere in the middle of next week. Josh was sometimes called the Black Babe Ruth, but many wondered if the Babe should have been called the White Josh Gibson. Someday we'll meet up and see who's best, they would often joke with each other. In 1942, soon after Satchez returned to the road, they got their chance. It was September 10, 1942, the second game of the Negro World Series. Satchez's team, the Kansas City Monarchs, was in a heated best-of-seven matchup against the Homestead Grays, led by Josh Gibson. Remember back when we were playing with the Crawfords and you said you was the best hitter in the world and I was the best pitcher? Yeah, I remember, Josh called back. Well, now we're going to see what's what, Satch said. In typical Satch style, he called out in a mocking voice, now I got you 0-2 and I'm supposed to knock you down, but instead I'm going to throw a pee at your knee. Strike three. Josh never moved the bat. Satch slowly exhaled the breath he'd been holding since the windup. It was over. He'd done what he'd come to do. Nobody hit Satchel's fastball, he said through a smile as bright as the sun and nobody ever will. When the cheers started to fade, Satch never did. For the next 12 years, he played on any team that would have him and his satchel full of pitches. In 1953, baseball finally closed its doors to Satch. The Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, opened theirs to him in 1971. He was the first, one of the first Negro League players they honored, and he had one of the longest and brightest careers in baseball history. Good job. So now we're going to show you how we create a book. Now people often ask, oh, people say, oh, it must be so great working with your husband. The two of you get to work together side by side. The truth is we don't work side by side. We have two very separate processes. So I start a book and it's often two to three years. Once, once I finish completing the book, it's often two to three years before James even starts illustrating. But we'll just go through the process for you. So it starts with the idea. And ideas come from everywhere. Ideas come from you know, experiences I've had, or places I've been, or people I've met. And often James gives me great ideas. Most of them I hate, and I tell him I'm not interested. But every once in a while, a great idea slips through. So uh, James is a great idea person. Always starts with research. No matter what I'm writing, I research it. When you research a, a subject, it just gives you, gives the characters and the story a feeling of authenticity. It makes it more real. Um, when I, of course, when I was writing a book about baseball, because I knew nothing about the sport, it really meant I had to do my work. So I had to go to baseball games, I watched baseball DVDs, I read everything I could get my hands on. I even read a book, Baseball for Dummies, which was really helpful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I take notes. So when I'm researching, I'm always taking notes in a notebook. And when I can, when I'm sitting and waiting for the kids or the doctors or whatever, I flip through my notes. And what that does is it allows me to kind of get into the head of the character, helps me to um, understand how I'm going to tell the story. So then I sit down, I start writing a rough draft, which I really just see as a sketch, just, a, just kind of a rough outline. Um, and then I, I go to my computer and I sit and I start writing up, I start typing in my rough draft. And that typed version of that rough draft is really, is just called your manuscript. So I sit, I have my manuscript, and I have the basis of the story. Then I go back and I rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it. 
sometimes 5, 10, 15 times before I get it to where I want it to be. Um, so the hard part for any writer is that you're rewriting and you're spending all this time working it, reworking it, and of course you get it to the point where you think it's absolutely perfect, and I send it off to my editor expecting her to say, this is the best thing I've ever read in my life. But what happens is I wind up um, getting, I get, wind up getting back um, all my pages filled with marks like this. So my editor makes lots of comments and changes and she has all kinds of questions. So that's sometimes the hard part for me is that you kind of poured your heart and soul into something and then somebody wants to make changes because you get really attached to it. Um, but usually after I, you know, look through her questions, I realize that by making some changes, it can be a stronger manuscript. It can always be stronger. So I do my revisions, I go back and forth, and sometimes again, that can be four, five, six revisions back and forth between me and the editor, changing and just trying to make it tighter and better. I have the final copy, I make my own final changes, so just to make sure that the story reads the way I really want it to read, and then it goes back to the editor, back to the publisher, and finally off to the illustrator. Now I'm going to show you how I paint a book based on this book we've done recently called Before There Was Mozart. Um, so what happens is Lisa finishes the story, and like she said, it comes to me and it goes into my schedule. Because I'm booked up with other projects, it may be a two-year or a three-year wait before I hit that project. So then I take out my sketchbook, and as I read through the manuscript that she's written, I do sketches. I probably do between five and ten sketches for every um, page you see in a book. At this point, I also start Googling images um, just to get familiar with um, the time period. I also, um, on my computer, I create folders and files of every page in the book. I just start putting things in the computer that I'm downloading, as well as I may scan some things as well. This particular book took me to the Metropolitan Museum of Art to see what people look, um, to see the type of paintings that were done in that time period, to see what, so I could help understand the type of clothes they wore in that time period. So I look at paintings like this. It's always easy to find things of wealthy people, but it was an everyday common man that I wanted to become more familiar with. I would gather books like this, magazines, DVDs, um, anything you can that's going to show you that, that time period. Next to create what's called a dummy book, which is basically a mock-up of the book. These are pieces of paper that are folded and stapled together, and I cut the same size the book is going to be. And what I do is I take the words that Lisa has written, and I cut those up, and I tape them down throughout the book. Then I take my sketches from my sketchbook, and I draw those out. Now you can see how well they work together. And these are sent to the publishing company. They look them over and they talk about um, the diff what they see and what they think is working, what they think is not working. Next comes the photo shoot. This is where I will invite people to come over. I look for models, a certain age. I get costumes. I photograph the models acting out the scenes. And here's a good example from the book Helen Keller. Um, this is the girl playing the part of Helen Keller. This is the um, young lady playing the part of Annie Sullivan. And this is the, um, Helen Keller's mother and father, who's actually this girl's mother and father. They're neighbors of ours. And they, they pose like this for a painting that's going to look like this. And here's um, Lisa's father playing the part of Uncle Jed. And playing the part of Sarah Jean in the book Uncle Jed's Barbershop is uh, my cousin named Denitra. And from Uncle Jed's Barbershop, um, here playing the part of Uncle Jed's brother is illustrator Jerry Pinckney, who um, is a famous illustrator who won the Caldecott last year for his, um, for his book, one of his books. So 
Uh, this is what a sketch looks like in my sketchbook. I'm going to show you how I make that into a painting. So it starts off with photographing the model, having a um, friend pose for the conductor who's teaching him how to play the violin, and then comes drawing. I draw it up using tracing paper. This is um, from Satchel Page. This is a drawing, and this is what it looks like once it's painted. So I start off with a drawing like this, and then the painting looks like that. So I usually work on tracing paper. So almost every person in every layer, or every um, the background, middle ground, foreground, is done on a sheet of tracing paper. And this way I can move things around, I can change things. You can see how this is cut from another sheet of tracing paper, and I put the tracing paper on top of that and redraw it, and redraw it. I move this ship here over to the other side to see what it looks like, then I move it back. So nothing, because everything's on separate layers, I can move things around. Once I get all down to the way I want to work, I put a piece of the board I'm going to paint on is put over it and do one final drawing. But these are some of my tracing paper drawings. This is Versailles. And you can see how the, um, there, the, um, the wagon is separate. And if I wanted to move it over here, I could. And here's, a, here's a, uh, actually where everything's all drawn out. And I decide to add someone here. I just sort of draw that person in there. But these are the final drawings. Next comes painting. In painting, I basically put down um, different layers and blocking in the color, the sky, the grass, what colors they're going to wear, and they're sort of basic colors. And then I sort of, using that as reference, my sketch as reference, I sort of continue to paint and build and paint and paint until it's finished. Probably takes me about a week to do a painting, and this is what it looks like once it's done. And that is the end of the presentation. We can turn the lights up. Now we have time for some questions. You guys have questions? Yes. Once I get um, all the tracing paper um, drawings the way I want them to be, then I put, take them to a light box, and I put a, paper, I put a board over it. It's actually, it's actually paper, but it's thick paper called Bristol board. I do my drawings on Bristol board, and that's what I'm going to paint on. So all my paintings are done on Bristol board, but they're started on the tracing paper. Okay. Yes? I've written two books that are in stores. I've illustrated almost 50 books. Um, Lisa has written about... I've written about 13 books, and eight are in stores. Yes? Um, I use... Watercolors, oils, and acrylics, depending on the book. I use all those. Sometimes I use them together. Yes. Acrylics. acrylics are paint that uh, they're actually plastic, like liquid plastic that dries faster. You use water to make them soft, make the paint softer. So they're so once the water evaporates, the paint is dry. Oil paint has oil in them, and it takes longer for oil to evaporate, so they stay wet longer. And watercolor is a water-based paint with pigment, which also dries as fast as the, um, the water evaporates. But they're very transparent. So those are the things I use. Yes? Are you working on a book in the meantime? Yes, I'm working on a book now called Christmas Tugboat. It's all about the boat that goes up the Hudson River to get the Christmas tree from Rockefeller Center. Yes, that's what I'm working on now. Yes? 
Yes, that's for that book. Yes, yes, yes. Say again. Oh, it'll come out next Christmas, that book. It takes about a year after I finish for the books to come out. Yes, young lady. Favorite style of painting? Oh, which medium I like? I like them all. I can't say I have a, a, a favorite. It depends on what the book is about, which will determine what medium I'll work in. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yes. What's the favorite book you've written? Um, it's it's hard to pick a favorite book because I like you know your kids. It's hard to pick a favorite. So I, I like all of them, but I do I love Satchel Page because it was my first book and it was the most challenging. So that book is probably my if I had to pick one, it'd be Satchel Page. It would be, uh, I would have three to choose from. It's probably a tie for for three. I'll say um, Satchel Page, um, Uncle Jess Barbershop, and um, probably. Um, Burr Rabbit, or maybe New Red Bike. I'm not sure. Maybe it's, so now maybe it's four. <laughs> yes. Well, when I was um, your age, no one really inspired me. It's something I just wanted to do, something I just enjoyed doing. Um, I would say once I got older, I was looking into this as um, a profession to go into, Jerry Pinkney probably was a big inspiration for me. But for a very long time, it was just, um, it was just my, it's something I just enjoyed doing. Yes? No time for making it for fun. They take a long time to make a book. Um, almost all of them are for, to be published. The books I do. Yes? What's your advice to us if we want to be illustrators? If you want to be illustrators, uh, grow up to be illustrators, I would say, um, it's basically three things I want you to do. I want you to um, read a lot. I think it helps you, your imagination. I want you to see art um, and see what's being done in art. And then I would say keep a sketchbook and draw and collect the things in the sketchbook that you are interested in. It can be other people's drawings. It can be patterns. But um, that's, that's, those are three things I would suggest to you. Yes, young lady in the glasses. Um, my advice for authors is it, it starts the same way. You have to read. Because when you're reading, um, even though you're, you're really just enjoying a story, you're reading for pleasure, it's actually showing you how to solve problems with plot and character development. All those things are actually being solved and worked out. So it helps. The more you read, the better it is. Also, you have to keep a, it's, it's helpful, I think, to keep a journal so that you're always writing down your thoughts and ideas. Uh, let's see, let's someone that we haven't heard from you, I think. Nothing really. <laughs> Actually, one of my first paintings, I knew very little about painting, was done with mixing oils and acrylics together. And that painting still exists. Um, it was a painting I gave to my sister. Um, it has a big tear in it now, but it's still, it's still around. So. Nothing really is going to, it's not going to blow up or anything. Um, it's, it's just, 
is, um, and you can, it's not good maybe to mix them together, but you can mix them on top of each other. So you can actually do the painting using all three of those mediums. Um, the background is done in watercolors, and then some middle things are done in acrylics, and then it's finished up in oils. That's probably the best way to do it. Yes? Um, no, no one else in our family does books or illustrates or anything like that. No. In the back, yes. Yes, do like Kylo's, the first book I illustrated. Yes. How are we doing time wise? I think I just got it at a bookstore. And it was so helpful. Just told you exactly how the game works. Yes. yes. Um, most of them is painting. Well, it's probably um, a book rather than a painting. Oh, the, the one about the bikers going yes, through the park? The park. I guess maybe bikers through the park, that one that was turned into a greeting card. Had all the dots on it. Had all the dots. I guess as a single painting, maybe that was a very popular painting. Yes. No, um, I went to a stadium that he had played in, but it, I didn't actually use that one for the story. I, um, I wanted the pictures to also have that sense that Lisa had with her text, but that it was larger than life. So I didn't do any of those sort of realistic um, scenes of um, true baseball stadiums. Yes. Well, it doesn't really work that way because the writers are not, um, they're not involved with the artworking, artwork at all, developing the artwork at all. Um, what happens, it's very similar to what happens with Lisa is she'll write a story and maybe two or three years later before I illustrate that story. And even at home with Lisa, she's sort of been removed from that because it's something she wrote three years ago and she doesn't have that relationship to it that she had maybe in the beginning. What's also wonderful about working with Lisa is she doesn't have preconceived ideas of what the picture should look like. She really relies on me to come up with the images. Now, when I'm working with someone who's not, who I'm not married to, again, <laughs> they don't get to look at my pictures and okay them because writers are good with literature and language. They're not visual people often. And that's something I work with with the art directors and the, and the editor. We work on the visual images. And it's really the job of the illustrator to come up with those images and make the visuals interesting. And um, sometimes writers will often write things that they haven't, they don't realize what they've written. That's one of the reasons why you don't want to sort of keep them, get them in that process. They don't usually have um, the visual information that you need to create interesting pictures because they're, they're language people. So there's no real dialogue between the writers. They don't okay anything. Although more and more I like to, I'm really interested in what the cover art looks like, so I feel like I can talk a little bit more about that. Okay. I, I don't remember that. But yeah, but I, yeah, yeah. So get prepared for the next one because I'm okay. very interested in the cover art. Sure. Yes. Well, when I illustrate my own books, I write, and when I write my own books, I always write the stories first and I illustrate them second. So I'm almost like two different people. I don't tell the illustrator what to do, and the illustrator doesn't tell me what to do. <laughs> right? So I, I become, when I'm a writer, I'm a writer, and I just work on the words. I don't draw any pictures at all before I do 
before the, so the last word is finished. And one thing that will never happen is I will never illustrate a book. Uh, if you could, my drawing abilities are just unbelievably bad. So not so I'm just going to stick to the, the writing. Okay, we'll do okay. two more. Any more author tips? Um, aside from the reading, keeping a journal, um, I think you should read the types of books you're interested in writing. Um, I think it's important to, I think that all authors have to be kind of observers of life so that when you're going through, you're kind of always listening and paying very close attention to what's going on around you, listening to conversations, the ways in which people speak looking at the way people dress, the way people interact, because you're, you should be constantly making mental notes about, about you know, how people interact. Because I think you bring that to your writing, and it makes your writing, your characters kind of come to life. Can I add something? Yes. Sure. Okay, we have the last question from this young, from Gunner. Gunner, yes. Yes, James Gurney, yes. I met James Gurney all the time. No, he does all his own artwork. He's the illustrator and writer of Dinotopia. And he wrote, he wrote those books. Most of those books were written before I knew him. Only one, the most recent one, has been written since I've known him. But almost every time I go to the post office, he's there. We always went to the post office. He's about the nicest person ever. Very nice he's guy. Really yeah. sweet. But he does all his own artwork. Our work is very different, also. Right. So we're gonna—I'm uh, gonna draw at you guys now.